Yo, yo, podcast listeners, before we start this week's episode, I want to hit you with the latest dates on the Hype Man Roadshow speaking tour. I just wrapped up the Enterprise Sales Forum here in Chicago. It was a fantastic event doing a live recording of this podcast. You'll get that in a few weeks as a bonus episode. Coming up next is September 29th, Patriot Boot Camp in Denver, Colorado. This is a capstone to Denver Startup Week. I'll be speaking to military veteran entrepreneurs, delivering how to not suck at pitching your startup. And then that same presentation comes back to Chicago on October 15th at the 2112 Incubator on the north side of Chicago. And then it's October 17th in Ann Arbor, Michigan at the Spark Incubator. More dates being negotiated as we speak. I will update you on those as they become available. But for now, it's September 29th in Denver, October 15th in Chicago, and October 17th in Ann Arbor. Head to startuphypeman.com slash speaking for links to check out all of these and everything else about Startup Hype Man. On now with the show. I got to up my recording sophistication. I actually have to have my speakers on to record stuff. Welcome, everybody, to Startup Hype Man's Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, a.k.a. The Raj Nation. I am your show's host and the founder and creative force behind Startup Hype Man, helping startups everywhere build their hype by creating a message that sings. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help creative thinkers like you and I better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. It's about the mindset, processes, and strategies to help you build a badass company. Now, before we dive into today's conversation, I would like to extend an invitation to join our tribe at StartupHypeMan.com. Enter your email address there, and you will never miss another episode of this show, getting an email in your inbox every single week when we drop new episodes on Mondays. You'll also get my weekly thoughts, strategies, and ideas on how to build up your hype and create a raving fan base. All right, let's dive in now to this week's conversation of Discover Your Inner Awesome. Today on the show, we have Gregory Hylers. Greg is the co-founder and president of Jolly Content, a content marketing agency, as well as an independent content writer through gphylers.com. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Raj. I'm excited to talk to you today. Our topic is how do you delegate responsibility? Now, this came about because we actually, of all places, we met on LinkedIn messaging each other. So cheers to millennials being able to meet each other online. <laughs> That's right. But in our conversation through, you know, through LinkedIn messaging, you mentioned how you're doing a lot more of this now. So why is this on your mind and why is this important to you? Delegating responsibility to, to me is actually one of the most important tasks of a co-founder or any executive suite kind of member of a company, it's it's impossible for me to get everything done that Jolly Content needs. And it's one of these skills that I've been working on for 10 or 15 years now in various roles. And now more than ever, it's, it's critical. And I, to me, it's something that I'm thinking about a lot on my end too. I've traditionally been a 
how do I do everything myself person. And, you know, that that only takes you so far and you can really get burned out. Um, I think part of it is like a, do I trust someone else aspect? Part of it's like a, you know, well, should I be spending there if I could do it myself? And then it's a matter of Mm -hmm. like, how much do you value your time, et cetera, and where should you spend your time? But um, kind of before we dive really into that, I want to know a little bit more about you. So what I think is interesting is on your LinkedIn profile, your first line is, servant leadership is my jam. Tell me about that. <laughs> why, why is servant leadership your jam and what do you mean by servant leadership? There is a great book on servant leadership that I just shared with a friend the other day. And of course, now I can't recall the author's name, which I feel terrible about. Uh, it's it's a concept that it's pretty self-explanatory, but I think you will find in a lot of companies, organizations is lacking. Uh, it Servant leadership is is placing my team members before me, figuring out how I can empower them. And I think if the company culture is set right, that will pay back far beyond what I could ever achieve if, if my goal the whole time is just figuring out how to make my life easier as the leader. Yeah, and... I'm curious if that has to do with like a certain way you were brought up. So where did you grow up uh, geographically and what was your childhood like? I actually grew up split between two locations. I was born in Indiana, kind of classic rural Midwest, uh, southern Indiana. And then my parents split and I spent a lot of my life in Los Angeles, but every year going back and forth between the two. And I guess in that process of then having like the quote unquote split family, I guess, how how do you feel that changed your own personality and or how did that change like your perception of the world? You know, in this context, I never thought about it that way, but there might be a little bit of the servant beginnings there. It's just... uh, Kids always want to please. Uh, maybe, maybe that was there, but I, I also had a lot of great support network. I mean, I, I think a lot of people assume that a background like that is, is more difficult than one with a quote-unquote stable home, but it, it was the opposite for me. I, I, it enriched my life. I got exposed to a lot I never would have, and I've since then kept that lifestyle going a little bit. I married across the ocean, and I've lived in China part of the time, and it's been an enriching process for me. And I think, you know, as I look through your history, it seems like that idea of putting others first has kind of been a consistent theme throughout. Like you've got a huge history of volunteer experience yeah, across yeah. the world, actually. Um, you know, what made you say like, I don't mean to say this in like a, like to say it like in an egotistical versus non-egotistical way or like a just business-minded versus not business-minded way. But like, what made you say like, I'm going to put all this time towards something that doesn't pay me money back? Well, there is a lot of research into what has recently been called volunteerism. It's pretty fascinating. I, I mean, at the time that I did a lot of the things you just scrolled through, that was 10 years ago, so I was in a different mindset having just graduated. And it, and it is all about, I mean, not all, but it is about ego, too. Uh, you're, you're not going to hurt my feelings. It's, uh, 
you know, at that at that age, I wanted to feel that I was making a difference, and um, and then if I wanted to break it down rationally, justify it towards friends and family, I would say, oh, I'm learning a new language, learning a different culture. Uh, I wanted to find other ways of fulfillment uh, besides enter a job straight out of college. So it's. It's sort of where I learned some of this certain leadership things. It certainly was part of the process, and and it was a valuable part of my time, even if it didn't make money directly. But um, but I hoped at the time I was helping other people. Well, you that, certainly that's... collected a wealth of experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you all go. Right, to, all you... right, I got that one. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. It took a second there. <laughs> <laughs> that took a while. Now the audience listening will be person. like. Oh, oh, now I get it. Well, yeah, yeah, I got it. Wealth of knowledge. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Um, so you go to UC Santa Barbara for college. Uh, you mentioned like you were splitting time between the West Coast and the Midwest anyways. So, you know, one of the, yeah. one of the places you're already living is essentially where you go to college. Uh, you right. study anthropology and education. Now, today you are a, you run a content marketing agency. So what what's going on with anthropology and education and like what why did you study those and what did you think what did you plan to do with the with that degree i have to do podcasts more often this is great yeah <laughs> i mean you i think you're nailing it I, somehow my fascination with people uh that the education side was i'd always i mean let's be real at that point it wasn't always paying because i was pretty young so i'd volunteered with kids uh tutoring and stuff uh it's it certainly feeds into content marketing. It, I'm of the content marketing brand now. I, I certainly hope if you looked through Jolly's portfolio, you'd see that the work we do is educational. Of course, it serves our customers' purpose and trying to get their ROI. But it, you know, you got to understand what people want and what they need, and somehow align that all with what the company can provide and. I think that's a great insight you you have right there. I mean, it feeds into the mission right there. Well, and to me, content marketing is so much about ed- educating the target audience at the end of the day, right? Like you're not really trying to close a sale with a piece of content. No. You're trying to start yeah. a conversation. And how can you do that? By, by telling them something they didn't know before, right? Yeah, that's that's beautiful, Raj. I, I'm I'm serious. I I got to do this more often. It's <laughs> <a> great insight. <laughs> so you know, you end up getting into you know a little bit of teaching. Um, right. You actually work on a farm at one point. I got to know about that. That's the Midwest side of me. Okay. So that's um, and that feeds into my personal work, uh, which I, we're today we're talking about delegation. So we're not really going to focus on that a lot, but. Morning. Uh, my personal work in uh, in ag tech right now uh, that's coming out. Uh, I've got clients in Australia and here. Uh, it's it's just uh, my father's family is all uh, rooted in the U.S. at least in agriculture. So it's a great part of my background that I always come back to every few years. I uh, used to work in it physically. These days, I'm working on it through content marketing. Well, and you know, I, I'm I'm Midwest, but I'm a city boy, right? I, I grew up outside of Chicago, and I've lived in Chicago for the last eleven years. Uh, right. When you say worked on a farm, like were you actually in the fields, like picking things, or like oh, driving yeah, like yeah. machinery? 
Oh, yeah, I raised chickens and pigs and killed them and processed them and uh, planted a lot of fruit trees and perennial vegetables, annuals. I put in a lot of fence on my dad's farm. My, my dad these days runs what most people would consider a hobby farm. This ain't some, like, 5,000-acre operation. It's just a little thing that he grows grass-fed beef on now. Okay. So it, well... I'm curious, you know, raising chickens and doing some of those other farm activities. Was there a lesson there in that idea of servitude? Like that you sort of, you know, maybe you didn't realize it at the time, but if you look back at it now, are you like, yeah, you know, because of that, I think this way now? Well, if you study soil cycles and life cycles in general, I think you definitely see that no matter where you are in the food chain, so to speak, you're part of it. You're going to feed back into it. And I, I, I suppose that that is there. I mean, there's an element to that. I might have a title right now as co-founder and president, even if no one's ever heard of Jolly Content. It's not a Some might think that it's some lofty position at a company, but really, my role is to serve everyone in the company and and build up their strengths, and that's going to make the whole entity better. So I I suppose, yes, and when I was working hands-on, I mean, I don't know if you know much about farming, but we have to do things like take an animal's waste products and apply it there's a process to it, but, uh, but apply it to the little tiny seedlings we're cultivating. So it's, it all feeds back into each other. And that's literally hands-on work. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, Some might say, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, when you talk about get your hands dirty, you know what that's all about. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I miss it in a way. And you know, I also think about too, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I would have to imagine doing farm work like that. It's also a lesson in like discipline and patience, right? Like you can't mm-hmm. like there are steps you have to take to grow a plant or to raise an animal. That's right. And there is no shortcut. You, know, you can't take an egg and make it a full-blown chicken overnight, which I think a lot of things that, you know, in the startup world what everyone's trying to do is make the chicken happen overnight and they're trying to find shortcuts. And there, you know, there's a way to optimize processes and create efficiencies but you that doesn't mean you can take an egg one day and make it a chicken the next day yeah and there's even if you want to take the farming analogy further there's there's what some folks would call a cash crop which you're you're raising because you know it generates quite a bit of cash and then there are your staples and they're just good old standbys and and I think we're all trying to achieve that balance too. Uh, I, or, you know, some aren't. Some are some are really just going straight for the cash cow mm. with their companies. Especially where I live now in Silicon Valley, you know, it's all about the exit. How can you build a company so that you can jump out of it with a little bit of cash out? And and Jolly Content isn't that approach, right? We're we're doing content marketing. It's a long-term play for our clients and it's a long-term play for us. We got to steadily show them what we can do and hope that they sometimes take a bit of a leap of faith in us. And, you know, it's, it's not a huge one, but 
it is a long-term play. They're not going to see their return tomorrow. That's that's sure. Yeah, and it's funny, like you talk about, like everyone's focused on the exit, and like, at, and you think about at what cost? Well, at the cost of properly planning an entrance. You know, you got to in order to exit, you got to be able to enter first. <laughs> and I think there's a, there's a lot of people wrecked in that process, right? They hire whole teams, and then these companies crash and burn. It's, yeah, and that's you know that's sort of like the unfortunate. Um, almost like byproduct of the VC mindset. Like, oh, this has to accelerate so quickly before we can handle the growth, right? It's, it's like, you know, growing too quickly, I think, is what kills a lot of companies. Yeah, yeah, and that's, you know, our topic today is delegating. So I, that's a very interesting balance. Even a tiny company like Jolly Content, we had to debate that one for months, my co-founder and I, before we expanded our team by one. Yeah, and let's you know we'll, we'll kind of like start to get into that now. So, Jolly Content starts around May 2017. How do you, I, I'm curious. How do you go from working on the farm, having all this volunteer experience, uh, high school English teacher here and there, to all of a sudden writing for companies? Right. Uh, that that is my part of my personal evolution as a content writer. I. I ended up living in China a little bit, which is where you see some of that English teaching coming in. Uh, because of my personal life, I, I married a woman who was Chinese, and it's a real asset. And still over is there. Chinese, presumably. <laughs> uh, technically, yeah, yeah, she is. <laughs> Given the political context right now, she's not jumping ship yet. Um, yeah, uh, and and I just started relying on those skills I'd built over how many years we go through education here and and developing uh, more of a professional skill set in the content world. And over time, I was working through a client, and I think you know the game eventually, it, it happens from time to time with certain projects. They just dumped a huge one on me. Their client was the biggest, uh, we call it comparison shopping website, uh, things where you go on and get deals for for buying different things or you know compare prices at different companies they they dropped to 4000 pieces of content uh, on me and 4000 yeah and it became like a pain i needed like help blog posts and like email like like what was all, what were these? all page copy descriptions of companies wow so it it was way too much for one guy to take on and and this is where my high school friend Morgan Taylor, my co-founder, comes into play. I mean, it was it was his pitch of expanding the scope of our work that, that got that response. And from there we had to build Jolly Content. It was just it was just a must. It was no longer something that Greg or Morgan could do individually. So you, you hit the point where you had to because someone said we need four thousand deliverables. Um, prior to that, you know, that had to do it moment was it on your mind to start to hire out any of the work or were you more in the mindset of i can manage it i know i'm really good at this i know my co-founder is really good at this we got this that's a that's a great point we we had dabbled i had been working with some pretty large names in china i don't expect anyone over here would know them uh they're they're state-owned companies uh, that's just the ecosystem in China. The government owns right. a lot of stuff, and uh, it's, that's actually one of the best exit opportunities there, right? As the government acquires what you're doing. Oh man, I never even thought about that. Have you read that? 
No, I remember I talked. I mean, if I remember my conversation correctly, I talked to someone a while ago who was like, you know, one of the big things there is, yeah, like government acquisition is like an actual out route. Yeah, makes sense to me. I mean, they have their hands in as much as possible. And I, and I hope I didn't just totally like misremember that conversation I had. So anyone who's <laughs> listening, like fact check that for us. Yeah, yeah. I, there are some people in my LinkedIn network that are great at sharing uh, really valuable bits of information we don't receive through our media over here mm. uh, about how business works in China. It's mm. just a different way of doing things right and uh, it's even down to the point of what you just shared i mean it never occurred to me but that would not surprise me at all all right so um yeah yeah so i i had dabbled with that i I'd, I'd done projects as an editor which was just maybe like a year's worth of work for a single person but it had to be turned around in a month and i thought okay now's the time i i built little teams of five to ten editors to work with me but this was my first time on the writing to really build out a team. And I guess, where were you at? So prior to getting to that 4,000 you know, piece deliverable, what was your state of mind? You said you dabbled, but like, were you, like, were you thinking this needs to expand or were you thinking, you know, we can run a nice operation just by ourselves and be happy? That was, that was definitely part of the conversation. And we had to do a little bit of math to to think about it and it was exciting I, I won't lie you know we just talked about patience versus immediately cashing in mm-hmm. um, Morgan and I looked at each other and we thought man 4,000 times X dollars if we give someone else this percentage we could keep this and like any business the realities quickly changed the numbers on us uh, you know there are a lot of <laughs> other costs we didn't think about but it it was really exciting to us. So pretty, yeah, pretty pretty early on, as soon as we got that pitch, that that idea came to the front of who who can we find that we can trust to do this work, and with us doing quality control and shoring up any weaknesses we identify, but outsourcing it from the start. That was that was really early on. So before you actually had to start outsource, not outsourcing, but hiring out, let's say. Um, what was the division of labor between you and your co-founder, Morgan? I have the content writing expertise. He's he's a good writer. Uh, I'm not going to say he's not. But if, if you went to our company today, you'd see that he does the search side of things. So he has a lot more technical mindset than I do, I would say. Um, um, you know, you'll find me here on your podcast, whereas... Uh, he's more behind the scenes. So I don't know how we would have pulled off that project if he wasn't part of it. Uh, he he can set up the workflow, and uh, it's just a scale that I personally wasn't prepared to take on solo. And mm. and with without him in the mix, I would never have even made the proposal to to the company that hired us that landed that project. And... What I guess, what's the sales process then at your company? Like, are you the one in charge of sourcing and and generating in charge of business development? Are you just generating inbound leads? Is he is Morgan in charge of that? Have you hired that out? Um, actually, well, we're still talking about before you hired out. So when it was That's the two man show, very timely. 
Yeah, that, that's very timely. Um, before, it was both of us doing as much as you could on outbound. Uh, the very uh, a, a, pretty pretty amateur tactics. I, I just want to admit um, we'd we'd hit up the various copy and content related boards that we know of. There's some big ones on. There's a, a huge one on Facebook called Cult of Copy Job Board. It's a little bit of an insider's club, but you get some good well, jobs. Now you there. just exposed them. Fight Club is yeah. destroyed. <laughs> well. It's got over 18,000 people, so it's not a huge secret. But okay. <laughs> um, it's, uh, yeah. But you do have to follow the rules there. It'll get kicked back out, that's for sure. Um, and, and it evolved. You, you got a great insight there. Um, Morgan has built an outreach team, and I'm developing our inbound over on LinkedIn. Uh, we know that we need to do a better job. We don't, we don't have plans to do a podcast, but we need something in the works, right? It's, you're the storyteller, so you know the power of it. We need to up our own content marketing game beyond text, and we know that. Yeah, and that's kind of, you know, it's always like the great irony is like the, what do they call it? Like the, the, oh, the cobbler's that's kids exactly. have no shoes. <laughs> you, you go to our website right now, which we just rebuilt and we love, but the blog section itself, which is kind of... Anybody who's new to content marketing will quickly find out that's the section of your own website where at least you get to have a little fun with your skill set. But that it's just in shambles because all of our stuff got nuked when we built a new site. So yeah. it's classic, just like <laughs> that. Yeah. So, okay, so let's talk about like hiring out then. Um, mm-hmm. you, again, you had to do it by design, like by nature of just getting a project you couldn't handle on your own. Now, what does. What did or what does your hiring process look like? Because I have to imagine you needed to bring in people you knew could do good work, but you also probably had to find them pretty quickly given that you just landed this job. Back with more Discover Your Inner Awesome in just a moment, but first, are you an early stage startup? If so, you're probably running on the messaging treadmill where you're trying to figure out how to pitch your company, how to tell the story, how to communicate, market, and sell this thing that you've built. But for every step you take forward, you get pulled back one just like you're on a treadmill because you're either too in the weeds, too technical, or your attention is pulled in too many different directions. Oh, and on top of that, you're facing the everyday mental crisis of being an entrepreneur where you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe I am crazy. Maybe I should have listened to my family and just gotten that safe and secure six-figure job. Guess what? It's time to get off the treadmill. Introducing Hype Man Academy, my brand new affordable equity-free virtual accelerator designed to build a marketing playbook for your startup so you can confidently pitch investors with a clear and compelling message and go out and market and sell to get your first 10 or 20 or 30 customers. Hype Man Academy is a weekly live online workshop where you work alongside your fellow founders, support and help one another, and get one-on-one access with me through virtual office hours. For information on joining the next cohort, visit startuphypeman.com slash hypeman hyphen academy. That's startuphypeman.com slash hypeman hyphen academy. Fill out an application and let's discuss. Back now to our regularly scheduled programming. That's right. Yeah, at this time, we didn't have uh, Chelsea Vincent, who's our just most fantastic project manager. Uh, that was 
six months before her joining the team. So it was just Morgan and I screening people as rapidly as possible. So uh, Jolly Content, we we are a content agency. You know, there's a stigma around us in this industry. There's the term content mill, which we hopefully no one would apply to us. Well, but, actually, take like, you know, just a sidebar here. Yeah. Can you explain what the stigma is and what people mean by content mill? Sure. Yeah, you know, the stigma is that we're creating words that have very little value beyond that. that that's our whole thing. It's, it, whether it's fluff or it's just off-target, um, the content mills are renowned for the only value in what they create is maybe an SEO keyword or maybe a link or maybe both, but very little educational value to mm-hmm. the post. Okay. And and when you're entry level, I I would just like to say to anyone who's joining the fray, there's nothing wrong with working where you gotta work to make ends meet. I mean that that's maybe I'm just saying that for myself, but I did that work. It's uh, I would love to say that I joined the game making five hundred dollars an article, but that just wasn't the case. Mm. So, um, but Jolly Content today, while we're not a premium agency yet, uh, we're still working our way towards that goal we're we're definitely not uh playing that game and so we part of our process was we always do paid samples for our writers because morgan and i both came up through this as writers so through it all you know you you highlighted servant leadership is my jam we're we're always giving people the benefit of the doubt so to speak and and that was a learning curve for us. We opened ourselves up to be taken advantage of early on. We got burned a couple times. But um, the process was putting up ads in that place I mentioned on Facebook. And I think we even did Upwork, maybe. Um, we even did Craigslist in a lot of the major cities. And uh, you'll see on my LinkedIn profile, I've said that I've vetted at least 75 writers. The bulk of them was that project. I mean, they were just... I'm I'm talking about the writers who actually did the trial work with us, not the hundreds of emails that we had to screen. Because it's it's pretty rough out there. You you can't blame people for at least trying to get these jobs. That's that's where the content mills come into play. It's it's a lot of people overseas. It's it's just a different game. Okay, and and how many how many did you have to hire to handle that that one job? Oh. The team was at least 15 riders at a time, always. I mean, it was a little bit in flux as people dropped in and out because it was a three-month project. But and, it was... Uh, and how yeah. many did you have to interview, more or less, to get to the 15? Uh, or at least, like, screen at, in at some least, way? At least 50. Yeah, okay. So, you know, there's a funnel effect here, right? You obviously have to talk to more people than you actually hire at the end of the day. Oh, gosh, yeah. And um, that's, again, not counting at least hundreds of emails that... We, I hate to say it, we couldn't even respond to. We didn't want to play like that, but yeah. So, so the funnel is actually even larger. It's like, let's say what two hundred like contacts made out of this, right? Fifty actual, would you call them conversations you had, right? And then fifteen hires at the end of the day, or fifty that we trialed, not just conversations. Okay, trialed. Yeah, yeah. We we gave them several pieces to work on and and templates to follow and things like that and. That's the way it is. If, uh, we, we had to be a little brutal. Today, we can take some time and mentor our team, but there are some qualities they have to demonstrate 
for us to bring them in. Well, and you talk about the templates and the sort of like the process to follow. I think that's a big part of delegation, right, is you can hire someone, but it can go south pretty quickly if they don't know on day one what they're supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah, you can set them up for success or failure, uh, but there is a little bit of agency in there they have to bring to the table. Of course. Can, can you talk through sort of your way at Jolly Content of setting you know, new hires up for success? And then also, can you touch on what you believe would set someone up for failure? Absolutely. If you join Jolly Content's team today, you'll first get pointed to our project manager, Chelsea, who is killer. Um, there's a bit of a process we have, you know, the typical onboarding paperwork. We need your tax info and all that. Uh, but you need to go through, um, Chelsea's a professional voiceover artist. Uh, you, you might get along well with her. She's, yeah, she's uh, like good at what she does. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's pretty good. She made us a, a killer introductory. It's like three-minute video we ask our writers to watch. Explains our whole workflow, uh, how to submit stuff, and the way we we try to set it up for them is when we assign something. There's a turnaround time they need to respond to us by a turnaround time as far as the actual work, and in between there, it's, it's all their time. They can do whatever they want. We we just ask that they follow the parameters for that account, which are very clearly stated in a central location in our system. That, that all of our team has access to. And the whole thing is as much transparency as possible. So uh, while I won't lie, we're not telling every writer what we make on the accounts, what each writer gets paid. I think that would be a little over the top. But everyone can see what all of the different projects are going on right now. And it, it just helps us because we, we're a content marketing agency. So we have different niches that we serve and we have different writers that specialize in different industries and some of them cross over and some don't, but it's nice for them when they see a project they think fits them that maybe we haven't identified, they can speak out because they can see it right there. And it's, uh, it's something that's allowed a lot of our team to grow in ways that I didn't predict when I hired them on. But, but having that whole structure in place lets them again, take a little agency on, on their own behalf and say, I, think i can handle this kind of work if there's an opening in the future for me so it's we, we've had writers grow from very entry level to what i would consider pretty advanced writing pretty quickly and they had that skill already developed some of it but they just grew within us so fast because of the structure we set up and do you sort of you know create that onboarding process with the idea that like they should be able to do this work without ever meet without me ever needing to look over their shoulder you know they might need to have something double checked but like the idea is i could step away like if i was hit by a bus tomorrow they'd still be okay because that's like how you've set them up for success jolly content is almost there it, it has been a big learning curve for me it, a lot of it's what you talked on initially a little bit of ego a little bit of fear, a little bit of hesitancy to spend money, but we're we're finally almost at that point. The 
the hit by a bus. Is, point. <laughs> yeah, uh, after this call, that's my next plan. I'm, is to go get hit by a bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, that's we, we're almost we're almost there. I I still am, as we discussed, a little bit of the inbound sales lead, the business development. So it it does start with myself or Morgan. Yeah. Uh, the new project usually, but pretty quickly it gets. Uh, Chelsea gets brought in. Uh, she starts to take the reins and do client-facing things, and then the rider. Uh, as long as we're sure this rider's a go, then they start to do the client-facing roles. And but between the rider and our project manager, they're pretty good to go. Without myself or Morgan, from that point on, I mean, once once it, she gets involved, it there there are occasions where I just have a, and I'm not saying that I've been in the game for 30 years, but. I just have a little more experience on the content side that it's helpful if I, you know, quality control occasionally. So yeah. it's, um, and I, I say occasionally really lightly. I, I do the quality control too much. Again, the <laughs> ego probably. I, I'm, I'm definitely, if you could do an interview with my two other team members, I'm sure a micromanager would come up in the conversation at some <laughs> point. Can you explain some of the, you said, you know, there's been a lot of learnings along the way. Can you just touch on some of those things that you're like looking back and you're like, you know, maybe we should have done X differently, or maybe we should do that differently the next time. Oh boy. Well, sure. Yeah. Uh, I would say from just from a purely content marketing perspective, if you don't mind, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. I, I would have worked on our inbound game a lot earlier. It's just exactly what you said about the cobbler, the plumber, the carpenter, mechanic. We, we didn't start serving ourselves, working on our own company the right way up until very recently. Uh, we we were focused on, you know, this is classic uh, entrepreneur problem, but working in the company, not on the company. Mm-hmm. And we're starting on that now. I, I appreciate the opportunity you are giving us uh, using LinkedIn a little bit uh, in the content realm. We brought in a social team member now to consult with us and advise us and execute for us just so that we get some outside influence. That probably hampered our growth in ways we'll never know. We, we should have been doing that a year ago and We've just started on that in the last few months, and so you'll hear regret in my voice, but that's a big, big one for me. I, it's it's not necessarily a tangible, you, I can tell you exactly what went wrong and how we could have prevented it, because I think there's so many missed opportunities there that because we failed to invest, and and that was a choice we made. And I, time and time again, we thought about that, spending that budget, and we voted no, and I think now we're finally making the right decisions. We redid our website, putting together some videos, working on our social game, and we're only going to see dividends come back to us from that. And, and I, I got to tell you, like that's that's a little bit like where I'm at in the sense of like, you know, with my company, I'm looking at right now. I, are I, you finding you're trying to pivot and get out there more? In the, no, I mean, yeah, yeah, but in the sense of like. I am finally looking at this as, you know, the money that this company is making, I just, I should just be reinvesting more of it back into 
growth and figuring out how to expand it rather than being like so protective and thinking like, no, like I can't spend that, you know? That's um, right. Because I'm like, you know what, why don't I take a shot? Like, you know, right now, for example, like as of this recording, I'm talking to a handful of people about like, you know, taking over like uh, social media for my company because I just don't have the time for it, you know? And, That's it. And I'm like, you know, it scares me to have to spend that, you know, spend money on that. But I'm like, you know what? Like maybe like I should, t- I should treat this like a real freaking company. And, <laughs> and if I don't have, it's, it's almost like, let me give this a shot. It's spending how an actual company would being smart about that. But let me, let me actually like spend like how I think a company should within my re- reason. And then I'll be able to really know like if I have something that I can grow or not versus just constantly trying to always do everything myself. And then like, you know, running into like the consistent um, overworked feeling, mm-hmm. and then running into the well now well, you know doing all the customer work, which then means you fall behind on the sales work, right? right. And then doing all the sales work, and then getting all the you know that, like, instead of like keeping that vicious cycle going, and then by the way having to host the podcast, do the social media, etc. <laughs> um, why don't I try to just? trust other people and trust that my money can be well spent in other places to get some of my time back. There are so many factors that play there for you. You, You're, you inevitably are also worried about this is your personal brand on a very public facing platforms. Can someone else yeah. Represent you how you want to portray yourself. I, and there, you know, there's so much going on. But but some of the stuff you highlighted is, I, you know, I'm I'm also new to being a businessman, so to speak. I, you know, farming, you do need to make money, uh, but it's a little different than being in an internet marketing. You you can you can live a little insulated at times. But right. But there's a lot of a balancing act you need to find in. And it's you. I think you're exploring that right now. How can you best spend your time to develop this company that you're creating? And maybe the company always remains with you as the figurehead. But I think we're at a time, and I'm not saying anything original here. I'm just copying uh, some other people I've listened to. I know he's a bit of controversial, but folks, even like Gary Vee, would say that the personal brand right now is really going to become a huge sector of our economy there's right. there's so much going on in that and that's to say not that each of these people individually are doing all that, that work but they're gonna have whole teams underneath them like you're starting to build it, it's only a matter of time before you just can't do everything yourself yeah yeah and if you, if you look at you know if it's a figurehead focused company you know, like you could take everyone from like Seth Godin to you know he has mm-hmm. people working for him to help him run his business, even though it's like the business of Seth Godin. To everyone knows who Jeff Bezos is, but Jeff Bezos like isn't out there doing everything for Amazon. <laughs> no, yeah, 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 and there, yeah, there's a distinction between like personal servants and like company employees too. But you know that. The people working for Jeff Bezos uh, under the Amazon 
structure are, are doing different things for him than, than maybe a personal servant would do. But it doesn't sound like you're asking your social media assistant to get you coffee and things like that. So, <laughs> Well, you are now running a team of 10. Uh, as you put online, you mm-hmm. are... You did a hundred thousand in revenue in your first calendar year, projecting two hundred k for year two. Congratulations on the success thus far. Before we wrap up, can you let our listeners know where they can get in touch with you, where they can learn more about Jolly Content? Please, uh, you you can email me directly, Greg G R E G at JollyContent.com. Uh, you can just navigate to JollyContent.com and check us out. We've got our portfolio visible to anyone. Uh, we do all kinds of on-site, off-site content marketing. Uh, my partner Morgan is really killer at setting up off-site uh, search support. Uh, he's good at course at on-site optimization. And then I'm a personal wordsmith. You can always write me as well, but LinkedIn is fine too. Just click on my name. Gregory Heilers is the name. So to wrap up now, Let's uh, each give what we believe our, you know, sort of like summarized answer is to the topic question today. I'll go first. The topic today was how do you delegate responsibility? Uh, to me, I think, you know, what I'm, what I'm gathering from this is first look at where can your time be best spent and how can you essentially stack responsibilities or delegate responsibilities to in your favor so that you can spend you know, time in the most effective area to, to run the business. And then in terms of the how aspect, I think it really comes down to being able to, like before you hand it off, figure out what was your process or workflow for doing that task, that job. So that way, when you hand it to someone, it's not like, okay, just figure it out. It's like, a here's how it's done. Now go. And if you have, you know, better ways to, to optimize this, awesome. Here's, you know, here's the starting point, essentially. Greg, how do you delegate responsibility? I love that. I, I just wanted to say in response to what you said first, if I can squeeze it in. Yeah. Having managed a lot of different teams in different contexts, so, so much easier if you've already done the work yourself to teach someone how to do something. And it's always apparent when you have managers who haven't done the work themselves trying to lead teams. So I, I can appreciate what you just said. Um, delegating responsibility, I still believe it's it's critical to the larger operation success. It definitely it involves ego in on both sides of the coin. You you need to let a little go, but you also need to step up to the plate and realize as the leader, it's your responsibility to empower your team. If you shackle them to you, you're always going to be pulling a little bit of dead weight. Instead, if you set people up, not only with the tools they need, but all along the way when they're coming to you with questions, you're giving them the knowledge you can or pointing them to more resources this is how you're going to get things done that weren't even on your initial to-do list, the reason why you delegated tasks to these people. They're going to come up with solutions that you would never have imagined. And that's the beauty of it. Once you start letting go of these things, the things that come back are so much 
broader and colorful and fruitful than it could have been achieved just alone. He's been apparently taking this call, standing in the middle of traffic, waiting to get hit by a bus to truly test how well he has delegated responsibility. Gregory Hylers, thank you for being on the show today. <laughs> thank you so much, Raj. I appreciate it. Hopefully I'll be around to do this again. That wrapped up our conversation. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the absolute best compliment you can give is a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help more people find the show, therefore more people can discover their inner awesome. And if you want to extend that compliment further, while you're leaving that review, go ahead and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or the various other networks in which you can find this show. For full show notes, references, and resources, as well as access to the over 100-episode archive, visit the podcast official site, www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. And remember, for tips, strategies, and ideas on how to build up your company's hype with a message that sings, visit startuphypeman.com. Season 10's theme song is from Sir the Baptist. The song is called Dance with the Devil. It is off his album Saint or Sinner, which you can grab on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, and anywhere else digital music is distributed. That'll tie a bow on this one. Thank you again to this week's guest for joining us. I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to Startup Hype Man's Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care. And be awesome today. This is dance with the devil go. Tell me what you gonna do. This is dance with the devil go. And if you can't get a loose, then it's a dance with the devil.